on in this sermon series, Together Again, Together Again. We've been looking at the life of Joseph. And uh, what a beautiful life, what a traumatic life, what a beautiful example from him. But all the ups and all the downs, and Joseph mirrors Christ so much um, that, that we see such a great example of him suffering well, suffering for the cause of God and allowing his character and his integrity to shine through and God would promote him and then he would go through a severe trial and promote him and go through a severe trial. But Joseph stayed balanced through all of that. Today we see the culmination of the series and the culmination of the story when we see Joseph's brothers show up in Egypt. There's a famine in the land and they've been sent to Egypt to find food and they come face to face with their brother. They don't recognize who he is but we see them together again and we see a work of restoration and, and forgiveness. And how many knows this morning restoration is important? Forgiveness is important and God desires us to be together again. And as I started planning this sermon, as I thought about this world that we live in today, there is such a polarization, is there not? Such a polarization in our society right now and that is not God's will. That is not God's plan. And it seems as if when COVID hit in 2020, there were some roots of all of these things that were happening. But from the sense of division, from the sense of the COVID and the health crisis, and then also from the sense of, of just tension among us, those roots were there. But it seemed that when COVID hit in 2020, everything just seemed to be unleashed. Immorality, right? Division, immorality, health issues. All of that, it was as if the gas pedal was pressed to the floor and everything just seemed to go crazy in some ways. And it was unleashed. And now it is as if immoral issues, sinful issues have taken such momentum in these last two or three years. This world is, is different in just these last two or three years, things that, and I worked in the public school system and I heard it all and I seen it all, but I never heard and seen some of the things that have started to embed themselves into our society. When we now have children who are allowed in some states to identify themselves in schools and say that they are furry people, we have morally slid down the wrong direction. Now, I could go through a whole laundry list of things right there this morning. But the division part was happening all at the same time. And it was if, if the enemy was putting this group in one corner and that group in another corner and this group in another corner. And if you're like me, we reached a place where we really didn't even know how to address it. We reached a, a, a part in our culture where we really didn't even know how to verbalize things in these issues of division because the meaning of words are being changed. And what I felt like I used to be able to say to make things amenable with someone else, now sometimes that's looked at as hate speech or prejudice speech. And the enemy has backed us into corners. And it's not God's will. It is not God's will. It is not God's plan. His will is us to be together again. But the enemy has put us against each other. There are lies in our culture right now. 
Pastor Brad and I are really trying to wrap our minds around these things. And it's on my heart as, as pastor of this church as we go into 2023 very soon. I'm thinking, how can we be a New Testament church? And what does that really mean? And what does that mean now in the context of a society that has totally changed? And can I tell you this morning as your pastor, and I'll get to the sermon here in a second. As your pastor, and it's all part of it, I guess. I came here three and a half years ago. Three years and seven months probably by now. The world and society is different, so different now than even when I became your pastor. And what are we to do? What are we to do? The burden that I feel as your pastor and that perhaps you feel as part of the kingdom of God, and we say, what are we to do? How do we become God's people? And how do we be God's people? And how do we reach others? And how do we influence the culture that has so dramatically changed? And I'm determined to wrap my mind around that. I'm determined to understand what it means to be a New Testament church in the midst of this culture and I'm determined to understand what's happening and it's happened so swiftly. So Pastor Brad and I are doing a little challenge right now and we're reading books and many of those books center around how this world has changed and and there's a whole new vocabulary really. There's a whole new mindset and wrapping our minds around understanding what we're up against, what we're dealing with. And I want to tell us as New Testament believers, New Covenant believers, people who are believers now in 2022 and going into 2023, we've got to gird up our loins, so to speak, and and renew our minds and get a hold of God and decide, are we going to live for Him? And how are we going to live for Him? And how are we going to make a difference for Him? And what does this mean for our children? Come on, somebody. And our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren that we are praying so hard for as a church Because they are being indoctrinated and they're hearing so many things now from every direction, from education to to entertainment to the government, and we are in a different world. But the Lord does want to bring us together again. And as I've read these things, I have seen lies that are being circulated and, and so many untruths, so many things that say that we are accountable for the sins of past generations and and that we can't be forgiven for that. All we can do is just face up to it and live under that. That's not scriptural. I'm not accountable for the things that were done generations ago. I'm accountable for my own sins. And furthermore, I can be forgiven by the grace of God. But there's this mindset today that we just have to live under this guilt and under this shame and we can never fix ourselves. But the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to us today, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to our children and grandchildren today is that he who the Son has set free is free indeed. The message is that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation and old things have passed away and old things have become new. And our children and the children of these schools around us need to hear that they can be forgiven, they can be changed, they can be transformed by the power of Jesus Christ and what he did at the cross of Calvary. We can be transformed by God's grace. We can be brought together again, together in relationship with Him first and foremost. That's the biggest separation. 
And this morning, if you're watching online, if you're sitting in here and you're separated from God, the enemy is lying to you saying you can never serve God. You can never be reconciled to God, but that's not true. Jesus Christ has died on the cross for me and for you and for the whole world. And whoever receives him can be together again with him in that relationship that he intended from the very beginning of time. And the reason we're apart now is because sin crept in and pulled us apart. But Jesus can bring us back together and restore that relationship. But furthermore, if there is disunity in your family, if there is disunity among friends, if there's disunity among church people, if there's disunity on the workforce, God's desire and God's plan is reconciliation and bringing people back together. God's grace can make that happen. God's grace can bring us and make us together again. Let's look at the turmoil and the trauma. The turmoil and the trauma. You say, oh, right, Pastor Greg, we're going to look at turmoil and trauma. That makes me so excited right now. We see this family, Joseph's family, his dad, Jacob, and all of the brothers, right? And you remember the story of these brothers so jealous, so jealous of, of Joseph. A father who singled him out and put him up above the other brothers. They were all at fault. Even Joseph was a little bit braggy back in the day. And all that turmoil and the brothers that threw him into the pit, took his little coat off of him and threw him into the pit. And the brothers, while Reuben was away that day, as the merchants came through, they sold their own brother like a piece of property. And he was taken off and they thought he was gone forever. They went back and told their dad, whose heart broke in two, He's been killed. Your son, Joseph, is dead. The turmoil of all of that. Can I tell you that for years, one place said 15 years, one place said 22 years, ever how long it actually was, for years and years, those brothers had to live in turmoil. Sin will haunt us, won't it? The enemy will tempt us to sin. He will allure us to sin and make it look so good. But then after we sin, he turns the tide and he causes us to wallow in our guilt and our regret and in our shame. But the Bible said we're not ignorant of his devices. And we understand. And, and if we understand that this morning, then we understand that when that temptation looks so good, we can think, wait a minute. Wait a minute, I know where this goes. But these brothers were wallowing in their regret and their shame and their, and their turmoil on the inside. No doubt they, they didn't sleep well at night. I, I, can't ima- I, can, I can imagine maybe even 15 years later, they were still dealing with this. I ask you this morning, is there something in your life that's been going on 5, 10, 15, 20 years and the enemy still is causing that to cycle over and over and over in your mind and in your heart? And I just want to tell you this morning, that's not God's will for you. It's not God's will for me. Turmoil. The trauma of all of this. Their dad. And they had to see their dad day after day week after week, who never recovered from a broken 
heart and they had to know deep down it was their fault. A dad that then fixated on the youngest, Benjamin, who was Joseph's full brother and who wrapped his arms around Benjamin. And I don't know how that affected Benjamin's life, but his dad that became overprotective most likely of Benjamin, the trauma and the turmoil in this family that went on years and years and years. So much so that we see it that when, when the famine came, Jacob and the brothers some 15, maybe 22 years later, famine comes to the, to the land. And Jacob finally realizes, I have to send the brothers. I have to send the family down to find food in Egypt. I've heard that there's food there in Egypt. If you read that passage, you'll see that he would not release Benjamin to go with them. He was trying to hold on to whatever he could hold on. The turmoil, the trauma in their lives. And then a famine comes. Turmoil, trauma, famine, and all of this that they're living in. Let's look at Genesis 42 two, And here's what Jacob finally resolved that they needed to do. And, and Jacob said, Indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there that we may live and not die. He sends them down to Egypt. He sends them down to find food. And when they arrive there in that place, their brother Joseph is there as the number two man in all of Egypt. You have followed that story. Perhaps you've read the story. Perhaps you've followed as we've gone through this series. But just to recap, when Joseph was taken out of prison, he interpreted the dreams of the Pharaoh. And Pharaoh made him the number two in all the land. And Joseph was actually in charge of pulling together all the food during the good times, being prepared for this famine that we find ourselves in this morning. And there comes his brothers into that place. And Joseph being over the food, Joseph being over whether they would live or die, he could have had them killed immediately. And Joseph sees them. And there's so many details that we really won't have time to get in this morning of, a, of their in, the, the exchanges that they had. And it kind of reads like, a, like an action story almost, a back and forth. But, but Joseph wept when he saw his brothers. And all of a sudden, it flashed back into his mind the dream. That he had had as a child. Those dreams that God had given him when he was still with his family. When he was still with his brothers. That one day they would bow down to him. And one day he would save them. And that flashed back to his mind. And he wept. And I want to tell us this morning. There are things sometimes in our lives. That we need to be reminded of. The promises of God. Maybe things that God has put on your heart. Or put in your mind to do. Or, or the provisions he's made. And if it's not careful we can forget about those things. And the turmoil and the, and the trials of this life. Or the famines that we live in can cause us to forget some things. So I want to I hit three lies of the enemy this morning. Before we finish this story. Three lies of the enemy. Here's the first one. Lie number one of the enemy, that it is too late. The enemy will say to you, the enemy will say to me, it is too late. Joseph had spent maybe a couple of decades away from his family. 
His family had spent a couple of decades in turmoil and regret. And it would look like this was hopeless, that they would die in their sin, so to speak. They would die in their sorrow, that Jacob would die with a broken heart, that Joseph would never see his family again. But with God, it is never too late. And if God has dreamed it, the dream will come to pass. If God has destined it, it will come to pass. But the enemy may look at you this morning. He may look at me and say, well, we've made too many mistakes. And I can't make a change in my life. Or he may look at me, he may look at you and say, our family is too far gone, the wrong direction. Regardless, if you make a change, it's not going to influence anybody else in your family. It's too late. It's too late. But that is a lie of the enemy. If you believe that, say amen. It's never too late with God. The old adage said, as long as there is breath, there is hope. And if I make a decision towards Christ today, if I make a decision to do better and to follow him, it is never too late and his arms are open wide to forgive me and to help me and to bring back that process of bringing things together again. So it is never too late. That's the first lie I want us to look at. The second lie this morning. The enemy always, always wants us to look At the worst case scenario. He always puts in our minds, always wants us to think the very worst. Am I the only one that that does that? Am I the only one that sometimes I think, did my wife leave the curling iron on in her beauty closet? And then I think if she left the curling iron on in her beauty parlor closet then that's going to catch on fire and then all of her clothes are going to burn up and then the house is going to burn up and then we'll have to, is the insurance going to be enough to help us rebuild? And and is that the only one that goes down those rabbit trails? Is that, am I the only one that thinks the worst case scenario? Sometimes I'll say to her, did uh, did you do that? Did they do this? Or what about this? And she'll say, you think of the silliest thing. But it's those worst case scenarios sometimes. And the enemy, and I got to pray about those things. The enemy wants to always put in our mind the worst case scenario. But we got to remember that he is a liar, right? He's the father of all lies. He's the author of all deceit. And he wants to torment us. He wants to put the worst case scenario. Jacob had lived all of these years believing that his son was dead. And and all the while God was working in his son's life. And he was the number two man in the country. But the enemy had Jacob believing his son was dead. Well, we have to renew our minds in the Lord daily, renew our minds through prayer, renew our minds through the word of God and the promises of God, and not always think the worst case scenario. Never count out the miracle working power of God. Never count out the grace and the mercy of God in any situation. Never count out the power of praying and believing. But the enemy wants us to think the worst case scenario. Here's the third lie. I was going to say I like this one. I don't like this one, but this one is a powerful one to think about. The third lie is that we can't move beyond. 
that we can't move beyond. The enemy wants us to feel like we're in quicksand and it's up to our knees and we just cannot move and nothing's going to change and God's never going to move and we're just going to have to accept this. He wants us to feel like our wheels are just turning and spinning the mud up on us and everybody else in the sides of our car and, and we can't move beyond, but we can move beyond through Jesus Christ that is alive, the enemy. And let me tell you, as your pastor this morning, if you find yourself in a situation, a season, a circumstance, and some of you might have been in this season for quite a little while right now, don't listen to the enemy when he tries to tell you it's never going to get better and that you can't move beyond because through Christ all things are possible. Reuben felt that way as I get back to the story. He made a comment at one point that his blood is now required of, of us. The older brother, Reuben. There they are standing before Joseph. Joseph, he doesn't weep in front of them, but he goes away and he weeps. And there's this back and forth situation. And there's this conversation that goes on. And, and, and Joseph asks some questions. And he asks enough questions to realize his dad is still alive. And what a feeling that must have been in his heart and in his life, that is, his dad, is, although he's advanced in age, he's still alive. And there's some flicker of hope that he might get to see him again. But there's this back and forth, back and forth. And at one point, the brothers are terrified. Because they still don't know it's Joseph. But they're still talking about Joseph. And in that moment is when Reuben says uh, his blood is required of us. And Joseph's hearing what they're saying because he's, he's acting like he, he speaks a different language. And, but he's hearing what they're saying and they don't realize it. And they're still talking about Joseph. That guilt and that shame is still up on them. And they're saying nothing good's going to happen to us. We're under judgment right now because what we did to our brother. But little did they know that our God who is full of grace and full of mercy had allowed all of that to happen so that Joseph would be sent before them to save their lives. And that speaks to the grace and the mercy of God that is extended to you today and that is extended to me today. And when we find ourselves standing in a place where we feel like we cannot be forgiven, where we feel like we have done too much wrong or we have gone too far, God stands and says, I am still working in your life and my grace is still extended to you. Come together again and be saved and be forgiven. It's a picture of the grace and the mercy of God. So I want to close this morning by talking about that. God has brought us together again. Joseph sent them back, but he kept one of them, didn't he? And he said, you go back and I want to see this brother you're talking about. And of course, Jacob's terrified when they come back. I can't send Benjamin too. But then they, the realization comes in this story that it is Joseph their brother, Joseph, Jacob's son. And that brings us to Genesis 45, 5 through 7. Let's look at that this morning. This is Joseph speaking to them, talking about what has happened. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves. He's talking to his brothers. Because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve Life. 
For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years, five more years of famine that were on the way in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Can we leave that up on the screen for a second? The next part of verse 8, the first part of verse 8 said, so it was not you that sent me here, but it was God that sent me here. And what we see here is, yes, a beautiful story of restoration, a beautiful story of forgiveness. Joseph forgave them. And I want to say to us this morning, if there's somebody in my life that I need to forgive, today is the day to forgive them. Amen? Amen. Forgive them. Forgive them. Be a Joseph. Joseph forgave all that they had done to him, and he recognized that it had been God that it was working in his life. So we see a beautiful story of forgiveness. Then we see a beautiful story. I, I, I don't know how to picture it. Wouldn't it be a beautiful thing if there had been Facebook Live in those days or whatever that somebody could have taped it as, as the old man Jacob made his way to Egypt mile after mile after mile. I'm going to see my son who I thought was dead, who I thought was gone, and, and I thought I would die a brokenhearted man, but... Somewhere in the horizon, one day he saw that long lost son and they embraced each other and hugged and cried, no doubt, upon each other's shoulders. It's a beautiful story of reconciliation. But had Joseph not forgiven, that reconciliation wouldn't have happened. And there can be times in our lives, hear your pastor this morning, that that. God wants to bring families together and friends together and churches together. And sometimes that hinges maybe upon me or upon you being the adult in the situation. Being the one to go ahead and forgive so that God can bring a glorious reconciliation and bring him back together. And we see that beautiful thing happen because Joseph forgave his brothers. That set it up that the whole family could come back together again. Such a beautiful story at this point. Such a, such a heart Wrenching story as I have prepared this series really and have thought for weeks about this particular part of the story. It is just there's a tenderness in my heart every time I think about it. And it just stirs my heart when I see the the miracle of God bringing them back together. And that beauty of forgiveness and grace and mercy and reconciliation. But it's even more beautiful when we start looking at these verses and we start thinking about a bigger thing. That God was doing. He was preserving a posterity in the earth. Not just to save their lives by great deliverance, but to save many lives. You see, if we study this out, think back to Abraham. And God made a covenant with Abraham. That God was going to build a great and mighty nation through Abraham, and that became the Jewish people, the Israelites. But out of that, one day was going to come the seed of the Messiah who would save all of humanity, right? The Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we have Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. You were hoping I would sing that song. And many sons had Father Abraham, and I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. And you do the right arm, the left arm, kind of like the hokey pokey then in that song. But you had Abraham, right? 
And then you had Isaac. Well, guess who was next in this Abrahamic covenant leading towards the seed that would bring Christ? None other than one of the stars of today's show, Jacob. Right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then out of Jacob, you had all those boys and you get the tribes of Israel. And then if you keep on moving towards the New Testament and you follow those genealogies that we don't always like to read that are, are in the book. And you get over in Matthew and you start tracing it down and you see Jesus Christ. And so God had allowed Joseph to be sent to Egypt so that he could preserve a posterity for his family but also for you and me. Because we see that this family, had they starved in their home, had they stayed at their home and not gone to Egypt, had they stayed there and died and starved, that would have been the end of the Abrahamic covenant. But God does not make covenants that God does not keep. And God does not make promises that he does not keep. And God said, I see what's going to happen. I'm going to send Joseph to Egypt. He's going to go through a, a hard, hard journey to get there. And he's going to go through a hard journey to be placed where I'm going. But I'm going to work not only in him, but through him. I'm going to touch him in such a way that he can forgive and he can love. And that he can see that it has been God that is in me and in him. And there they are back together again. And he saves the lives of his family. But through that, his whole people, the Jewish people. And the Abrahamic covenant continues on. And it starts pointing towards the seed of Christ that would come through that family. And that says to me this morning, that says to you this morning, that God has been planning this great coming back together for eons of time. I think about Jesus Christ. And I think about that. It, the scripture says that Jesus Christ was the lamb. Who was slain from the foundations of the world. It shows me from the very beginning. Even before the fall. God was already planning to send his son. To die for us. To bring us back together again. This is just one story. One picture of many many. That we would see. Of God working all through the Old Testament, leading us to the New Testament, to the New Covenant, to the Messiah, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's that mean to me? What's that mean to you? It means that our tragedy, David Jeremiah said it this way, our tragedy can be turned to triumph. Our sin can be forgiven. Our lives can be Change This God that is ever working to bring us all back together again. What is the turmoil in your life? What is the tragedy in your life? What is the trauma that's in your life? What are those things? What are those lies of the enemy? Or even the lies of this culture today? What are all of those things? I want to tell us this morning that God can bring us back together again. I thought about the Gaither song that said the old rugged cross. Made the difference. The old rugged cross. What Jesus Christ did when he died on the cross. All the sin of the world and of humanity was up on him. That's why the father had to turn away. And Jesus cried, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God had to turn. He couldn't even look upon his own son. Because the sins were up on him. So that he might pay that price. For all who would believe. 
that all would, who would receive him as their personal Lord and Savior. And that work that happened on the old rugged cross still makes the difference. From a life that it was bound, was, was destined for heartache and defeat. But the author said, I will praise him forever and ever because the cross made the difference for me. Who would have thought that we'd be studying about Joseph centuries ago that it would really lead us right here to the cross of Jesus Christ? But that is the story of the gospel. That is the narrative of the gospel from the Genesis to the Revelation. Would you stand with me this morning? The old rugged cross still makes the difference. I will praise him forever and ever for the cross made the difference for me. Would you bow your head with me this morning? As we pray today, examine yourself as an individual. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Do you know this reconciliation that I've preached about, this beautiful gospel message that the Lord has sent our way today. Do you know him as your personal Lord and Savior? If you don't, today you can ask him to come into your heart. Believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And allow him to make you a new creation in Jesus Christ. But maybe you're here with, you, with, with us this morning and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But you're walking through trauma. You're dealing with the effects of trauma. Or your life seems to be in just a turmoil. Or people in your family seem to be in turmoil. Maybe you feel like you're in a famine and you're lacking what you need. Maybe it's a reconciliation issue and, and, and you want the Lord to bring back a friendship. Or you want the Lord to reconcile in your family. Or, or you yourself need to forgive somebody. Whatever. There's so much that was in this passage today. But the Holy Spirit has brought this message to us this morning. And I ask you today to just as an individual say, Lord, what is it today? Speak to me from this word. Speak to me from this word and help me to respond as an individual to your word. This altar is open if you want to come and pray, kneel down or have us pray for you. If you want to pray right where you are and get a hold of God, but allow this word and allow the Holy Spirit to stir you and help you this morning. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you today for this beautiful word. This beautiful, wonderful word, God. This story of forgiveness. This story of reconciliation. This story of you working behind the scenes. This story of the prom even of the promised Messiah. God, I thank you for your mercy that is new every morning. I thank you, God, that it is never too late. I thank you, God, that we don't have to be stuck. I thank you, God, that we don't have to think the worst case scenario. There is grace from you that will help us. So, Lord, whatever it is this morning, I just pray that every single person can leave here this morning helped. Helped by your word and helped by your Holy Spirit and responsive to you and your leading in their personal lives. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Continue to pray, continue to worship. And this altar is open if you want to come and pray.